Welcome to the first episode of The Blueprint. In this podcast, I'm going to be bringing on some of my favourite upcoming brands across the UK right now. They've all got quite a unique and interesting story to tell and advice to give people that are looking to break into the industry themselves. The first few months I'll be doing this without a studio and doing it online because I'm still studying at uni, but as soon as I graduate, I'm moving to London to do River God full-time and I'll I'll get a proper studio set up there. However, this format does mean that I can interview brands basically anywhere. So starting right off, the first brand we have on today's podcast is Viracocha. Now, I was really surprised by this whole conversation. The founder, Luke, is a a young guy, but has already made viral products and pieces that have sold out in minutes, with these pieces then reselling for loads on Depop. He started the business completely by himself, and today we're talking about how the brand grew so fast, his design inspirations, guerrilla marketing, the future of what he's going to be doing with the brand, and the best places and techniques for getting your products manufactured. Enjoy. I mean, I had 50 minutes from one of my shoots shot on a VHS camera, and just 15 minutes editing that down was the biggest pain of my life. It took me hours, hours. Um, so did you do the so editing yourself? Pardon? You do the editing yourself? Yeah, yeah, of course, everything. I edit myself. I, I do like every aspect of the brand other than the photography, which is done by a professional. I do everything, everything. Any aspect of the brand you could think of, I do it. So how much would you say like day to day that you spend working on the brand? Is uh, it a day to day thing at the moment or? Mm, not really. I, I plan quite in advance. Um, and manufacturing and sampling takes so long. You know, I did a photo shoot for the joggers and hoodies that I'm releasing. And they've just finished because of Chinese New Year and everything that's going on. So that's three or four months later that I'm having to like, <laughs> so I've marketed it, I've spent all that money marketing it, and then in the end, the product isn't actually available, and I do not want to do pre-orders again, because that was a learning curve. Um, Let's go with the straight into it, what happened there? What, what's, the, uh, what's, what's the issue with pre-orders? Pre-orders, my manufacturer said three or four weeks, five at max, and then I think it turned into 10 or 11 weeks, Ooh. and it just, emails every day was stressing me out so much and just not really that good communication i mean my manufacturer take two or three days to actually respond to me and it just was a lot to deal with a lot um so now i'm just doing pre-made and i kind of have the revenue to do so um so yeah i'm able to do that now. and with most manufacturers you can just do a really easy 50 percent interval so 50 percent before it's made 50 percent after so the investment isn't actually as big um, and the risk factor. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's why yeah. I, I did, um, I think on my first one, I managed to get 3070 because uh, it was a lot of negotiation, but mm. 30% up front. So it was, and I, I didn't want to do pre order because I'd seen too many like horror stories about yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. That's something that I find interesting about pre orders. So obviously, when you when you go to manufacture a product, you tell the manufacturers you know, how many pieces you want. Let's say when you open pre orders, if you get more pre-orders than you're expecting, what do you do? Would you ask them to add more to the production? Or- yeah, 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 I mean, with me, I've I've done one big pre-order drop that was a significant amount, so the jeans, the black and white jeans, um, but I set it at a certain amount, like the pre-order, like once it's sold out at that amount, it's sold out. Um, I capped it because I was just worried. I mean, the more, I mean, it's more money for me, but more people to worry about. And it was my first big, big drop. So I'd rather keep my profits low and, you know, keep it on the low, then have a much bigger scale and a lot more to worry about.
No, for sure, man. Like, it's a very, very common thing in business that people just grow too fast. Like, if you suddenly went from having no experience to, to the next day having hundreds and hundreds of customers to manage, it, it, it would just die before. Look at Antisocial Social Club, right? The guy who founded it, like, suddenly became really famous and made loads of money. He didn't know what the fuck to do with all these orders, so he just posted pictures of him and his new Lamborghini all the time, and then the brand is yeah. dead. So would you say, say you spend more time marketing than, like, designing and actually, like, processing the brand, if you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I would say so. Like, a lot of, you know, I'm trying to build River God the equity behind the brand name to be really heavy. So when you think of River God, you know, it's, you automatically know exactly what it's about. And when I'm at uni and I'm trying to, you know, I'm paying for everything myself, my life, everything like to constantly drop products doesn't really work at this stage. It needs to be much yeah. more about the marketing and about communicating what I'm about. I, I would really, really stay away from social media advertising these days. Yeah. Like I'm not going to tell you the exact figure I spent on it, but like before I started the brand, because I was working with so many other brands and doing so much consultancy and stuff, like I had a lot of cash um, to put into the brand, right? That's lucky. And I put loads into Facebook ads because like ever since I'd been researched, well, it was actually a curse because I had so much, I didn't really know what to do with it, right? So I, um, like for years of researching, because I've been researching since like 2016, 2017, like all of the places say to do Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, but just as I launched is when everything like got updated, like all the new iOS systems where it just nerfed it all completely. But I didn't know that. Like I just still put like stupid amount of money into it with photography that I did myself that was just crap. Right? Yeah. It was really bad. In the end. It was so stupid. Marketing um, at the people has got to be quality. Because even if you have that reach, like that amount of people yeah. viewing it, if it's crap, no one's going to buy it or look at it. So... I feel like that's a really yeah, exactly. important thing overlooked. No, like content, like photography and stuff is so important. Because like thinking back now, like at the time I thought it was a good idea, but trying to sell like t-shirts for 70 quid and hoodies for like 120 with blurry photos, like it's mm, never yeah. going to happen. It's never going to happen. So yeah, like for now as well, like I've got a, quite a few photographers and videographers that I know around the country now. Um, and I'm going to be using that a lot. Like I, th I would almost say that I will probably be spending the same amount on video and photo content as I am actually on the products from now. I completely um, agree to be honest. I completely agree. I do the same. Um, people thought I was mad, you know. I had loads of people messaging me like, the vi the videography, photography is incredible, but I own a brand and personally, man. personally, I think, oh, I should just use a phone and things like this. But I, t like, I have a real interest in photography as well. And having my products looking at a top quality, looking sharp, and like in a style that I like that's unique, I feel like just looks better than anything else. And especially no, using like agree. film cameras, you know, VHS cameras, which I really enjoy using myself. I think it just turns out so much better and it has a much more authentic feel. Mm, it fits the vibe of your brand a lot more as well. Like that was one thing I wanted to bring up today was like one of the first things you see about your brand is how nice the videography, how nice the photography is. Like, it just looks good. It looks really professional, like way more, you know, I've worked with so many brands now. Um, what the, do you mean, as in collaborating or like conversing? No, with? as in like, as in like designing for them. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that on your TikTok about Fiverr and designing and yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I've worked with so many brands and some of them are huge, right? Some of them have become really successful since I've worked with them. But I would say about 80 to 90% of them don't get photography right at all. Like, it's just rubbish. And it, it, it hurts me to see my designs that I've done for them in, like, some crappy, like, just location, like, yeah, just, like on their bed or something, or, like, selfie yeah. with them in a the mirror. It's like, oh, man, why have you paid and put all this effort in to make it happen if you're just going to communicate it like that, right? Yeah. So you've nailed that from day one. And I think yeah, it absolutely. resonates with people as well. Your photography, like your, um, you know, the lookbook, the kind of stuff you're doing, it looks so clean and professional, but like, it's your first time ever doing any of this kind of stuff. Like, is it like, who's it influenced by and how, how's that sort of shaped the way that you do it? So I've got, um, quite a lot of influence from a guy called Slick Sid, who owns the brand Years of Tears, otherwise known as Ozbat. And, um, essentially. I really liked the way he was doing his photography, a lot of the models he was using, kind of the aesthetic he was going for punk. But um, at the time of making Viracocha, we weren't really in the punk aesthetic, but I wanted to use some aspects of the photography to envelop our garments and make them look as good as possible with a much more darker tones. Um, so I used a photographer that Slick's used before and uh, a model in our second shoot that Slick's used numerous times, good friends of called Sora. It's an amazing guy. And the photographer we used for both shoots called NJ. Um, both did an amazing job and really given like a source to the brand. I think like in the starter position, that kind of direction, that kind of way of approaching things is really important. Because if you really respect what someone's doing, the best way to understand how it all works is to be surrounded by the same people they're surrounded by. You know, like I, I've done similar things where I've seen a model from a brand that I like and I've got them to do some modeling for me. It's just a way of trying to, you know, build your circle to match the circles of the, you know, that you want to be in. So I think the way that you're, you've done that is really smart. And I think like if you were to stumble across your brand, you wouldn't think, oh, this is just some random startup. Like you'd think there's like a proper team behind this. Like, so I, I think it's a very good way of doing it. So I, and you know, what this will eventually mean is that, that, you know, you'll meet new people through them in the future that will help build your own, you know, unique personal way of doing it. And, it, and it's helped me a lot. A point. Personal style, the way I look at like fashion in general, it's really, mm. really helped. Mm. Like your Instagram has very good engagement for your, for yes. your following. Like very, That's very good. I was going to bring that up as well. Um, for me, Instagram, that's the main focal point. That is where people are going to share it. People are going to see it. TikTok is more like, I refer to it as like a lazy platform. Like I'm not bothered in the ratio. Let's say I have 10,000 or 20,000. I have 8,000 followers and I get a hundred likes. I I'm really not that bothered. Like I really don't care. Um, obviously I want my videos to do well, but as in caring what my following thinks of that, if you understand, whereas Instagram, I take it really seriously. I need a very, very good engagement rate. Cause that represents, that's where I want all the traffic to go through and then to the website. So I want that looking as good as possible. And I hate seeing it. When a brand has thousands of followers and it has just like a hundred likes and yeah, no, that's, that's my issue. My engagement is horrendous yeah. personally. Yeah. Um, it, and it's, it's because you've got to spend so much time on Instagram. You've got to make that your main basis of marketing. And I think it just depends also because word of mouth spreads off the Viracocha stories and things like that, uh, especially in places like Oxford. I've heard a lot of mates like seeing people wearing it in Oxford, which I thought was amazing. Really? That's off. Yeah off the Instagram. You know, that's where I'm from, yeah. Really? That's yeah, mad. I'm from Oxford. 
Yeah. Where, where are you? Are you in Northampton, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. around there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, no, word of mouth from the Instagram stories and people just keeping up with it and like needing to follow Vero Coaches. Like, follow us on Instagram. Like, you're going to like miss out if you don't. And that just creates the engagement rate and just people constantly on it. Like, I get a couple likes a day. Um, so, yeah, I take real pride in that. And if I don't get enough likes, it's really upsetting for me. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I get the sense So TikTok has become it that like mine's the inverse right now because I did maybe six, seven months of Instagram. And here's, here's, a, here's a, like a inside story for the podcast. So when I first started, I, I like worked with one of these um, social media marketing agencies, right? Because I had a lot of money. I, they were like, we can guarantee you growth, or, like authentic growth. And I was like, okay, paid them the money, bro. They, they paid for like thousands of fake followers onto the page. Oh, I hate yeah. That. And what that so did, much. yeah, and I, I didn't know, I was like, whoa, I'm getting so many followers. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I looked through and they were all like Caroline Adaranska yeah, 96 yeah. and there's a picture of a dog on there with zero yeah. likes. Like, so you don't actually have like customers, if you know what I mean? So those thousand, there's no point. There's no like positive aspect to that other than like other viewers consuming that. No, no, it's actually, it's actually worse. Let me explain why. Yeah. So the way the Instagram algorithm works is when you post something, it shows it to X amount of your followers. If it sh if the first hundred people it shows are the bot accounts that don't interact, that are just dormant, it doesn't post it, like share it to anyone. So I managed to, I removed quite a lot of them and a lot of them just unfollowed naturally but because I still have that level, even though I've gained maybe 5,000 followers on there since, I don't know, let's say August, my posts get no more engagement because it like the algorithm is it it's still post yeah it's like a flaw so, yeah and i i have like like four or five times the engagement on my stories as well on my personal account um but it's interesting actually so do you use reels at all um i don't just on the side of the instagram i keep it extremely professional and everything i upload has to be professional a lot of thought mm -hmm. put into it and a meaning to it. So like, we're gonna drop now and here. Nothing more than that. I don't post like spam or like stuff that's trying Good. to get traction. Traction will go to the Instagram instead of Instagram gaining traction naturally on its own, if you understand. Okay, I think that, that's a very good uh, sort of approach with it. I mean, as I said, I'm still at the stage where I'm just trying to build equity for the brand. So I started posting some of my TikToks that did well on my personal, my personal TikTok uh, is kind of like a scrapbook. Like it's loads of different ideas flung together. And then by the time it's got me that hyper growth, I'm just gonna delete everything, right? But for now, because I, it's not like a classy image, it's just scrapbooky and I'm building a luxury brand. And it, but it gets you spend a lot of sales, hours on right? the videos, do you not? Yeah, I do, but like, I don't, I don't think. But the quality of the videos are incredible. Do you like they them? do really well. Like you have your audio set up, you're speaking to the camera, it's obviously scripted to an extent. You know, those videos make, they, what well, I want to personally kind of put myself out there as the owner in a couple years time, but not at the moment as in pro like project myself as a public, um, like a public image of the brand. Yeah. Sure. Whereas that TikTok shows your knowledge, your capabilities and the way you can express yourself and show the quality and like the viewer will associate that with your brand. So they think, Oh, extremely high quality imagery, um, microphone, images, scripts, and 
I think that really draws fans, even if it isn't about River God. If a viewer goes to your TikTok, they'll see that you're the owner of River God and they'll think, oh, they've probably put a lot of thought into this like their other content. I appreciate you, man. You, yeah, that's pretty much exactly my thinking when I started doing it. It was like, like that's why I started doing the videos about other brands. It's because it, it was genuinely research I had done for the first five or six videos. And I thought like if people saw that I like knew everything about these brands and knew all this knowledge and stuff, they'd think that that was what formulated River God, which is what it, you know, that's not me like bullshitting. That is actually what it was. Um, but yeah, like something that's really interesting. And I spoke about this in another podcast that I did. Because if you now search for River God on TikTok, it comes up like River God Cortez is the suggested thing, or like River God Palace, mm. River God Avisu. Never even made an Avisu video. But yeah. people are searching River God alongside other brand names. So it's creating that association. So, like, and it's all free. You know, like, I, I, I was actually, <laughs> I was, yesterday I submitted an assignment that I was doing about River God. It was like, it's a social media uh, module, like about branding and communicating yeah. a brand. And you have to choose a company, and I just chose River God because, you know, I know it pretty of well. You made it yourself, you know, it's not out. Yeah, so I did that and, like, an analysis of what I'd been doing the last few months. And I worked it out across all platforms. I've had nearly 11 million views on my content for free, like, with the River God logo on it, or, like, okay. sat down okay. talking. That, that shows you, that completely shows you. You know, I've never spent money on advertising at all. I've hated it, I always have, because, especially with Instagram, I have this massive thing about Instagram, like engagement rate ratios, and I have like a massive like opinion on it. Like that brand looks good if it's got that, especially photography. What's that opinion then? What's that? What's this? This? This major well, opinion? As in, as in keeping the ratios high and the quality high, because that presents your brand, and I think that looks really good. I haven't paid for any Instagram adverts, and the reason is is that I've heard from so many sources and people that I know is when you pay for Instagram ads, it pushes it out against you a bunch of likes and followers. But then as soon as you stop using those ads, it just cracks down slowly yeah. and then suddenly. And that, I just yeah, think that looks silly, absolutely. you know? 2,000 likes on one post and then 80 on the other. Especially with River God, it genuinely, it does not reflect on your brand at all. I think you genuinely just got very unlucky with it in the fact that the bots came in, all of that, whereas, your quality of imagery, you know, I'd be thinking it's getting thousands of likes, you know, you obviously put a lot of effort in it and you don't upload every day on as in pictures and videos, you know, it's obviously well thought out as in like with the blueprint, you know, that was a great image that you've edited. You've obviously put thought into the caption and it really brings the viewer in, but it's just unfortunate that it doesn't have that engagement. No, I'm, I was thinking of just deleting the whole account and starting again, and just being completely transparent and saying, look, something's going wrong here because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but either way, anyway, let's get back Let's get back to your brand, man. Like, that's, okay. that's why we're here. We're here to talk about yeah, you. Yeah. You said you've never done any adverts or anything. So how did you get the original like traction to the pages? How did you get the followers? How did you get the likes? TikTok. TikTok. Not <laughs> like it's TikTok. Um... Obviously, I had my friends shout at our repost it, all of that kind of stuff, but that's a limited circle of people, whereas TikTok is pretty much unlimited, you know? You've got a billion active users nowadays. So, I mean, it didn't work for a long time, you know? I posted like 40 plus videos of just the t-shirts, and I just don't think the t-shirt was like a very significant thing, you know? Everyone's seen a t-shirt with puff print on it. 
Um, and then the jeans came around and I videoed that and then I did a photo shoot and I was like, I posted on Instagram, suddenly it's got like loads of traction. It has like 400 likes and I had like 900 followers. Like that's nearly a 50% engagement, which is ridiculous. Yeah, that's um, insane, man. And then I just posted more TikToks of the jeans. I mean, I completely rinsed those jeans. I must have posted like 40 TikToks of them and I hadn't even released them. I released oh, them like a beautiful pair of jeans them. though. That's, that's yeah. how I found you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... What was that feeling like when you had that first, that first viral video with them? What was the it feeling was like? Mad. It was mad because it was like, I woke up one day and it was like 99 plus on your TikTok. And I was like, what? Like in like the notifications bar. I click on it, it's got yeah, like yeah, 10,000 yeah. views. And I'm like, what? And I go, and like my mates like, your video blew up, like all this. And I'm like, oh, mad. Like... <laughs> Then like the Instagram's getting way more traction and then I do the photo shoot and it just all starts going really well. And then I release the t-shirts and it's just like selling out. And I'm like, what? Like, it was mad. So, so far, I mean, I know you've not released like a huge amount of, of different products, but what has been like your best selling or your most popular one? Uh, the black and white denim with the, fur, as in done in our first photo shoot. Uh, so we're matching with the t-shirt with white embroidery. Japanese service denim. So the ones, I mean, so the, your video that like, the video that blew up, yeah. the jeans have like loads of different colors embroidery and stuff. Yeah. Are they gonna be released? Are they out yet? Or? Yeah, so that's after the joggers and hoodies, that'll be the next release. Um, you know, it's got like over a million stitches, really, really high quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really, insane, really high man. quality. I was just working on the fit of them because they're a bit too skinny for my liking. So we worked on it and now the fit is a lot better. Um, nice. It's going to be really baggy flared kind of fit. But yeah, no, we'll be releasing those soon. It's just um, joggers and hoodies, we'll release those. Then I'll have enough money to then buy in the colored jeans because those are one of the most expensive items and we'll have the little, like the lowest profit margin because they're so expensive to make. Yeah, that's my only reservation with denim myself is I, I love denim. Like I wear all mm. different kinds, you know, flared, vintage, like quite futuristic weird shit but the actual i like thought of manufacturing denim just seems just so difficult and it's something that i i would love to do but i've not really put enough time into researching yet yeah like, what it's would you say like it's the embroidery, so the embroidery is the issue yeah and the custom jack runs buttons tags everything that goes into that denim is custom um and that builds up very quickly because every part of that is also nailed woven tags so Originally inspired by Visu, they used really nice woven tags, and we basically did that as well. And it's really expensive to make. So you're basically making the ultimate Y2K jean. <laughs> yeah, but idea. I don't wear that anymore. That's the issue. So we're kind of moving away from that. So that's why I've done leather. I'm doing adjustable flares, and kind of making it not just a Y2K brand, but also my audience will kind of have to change in that way. So, what I really like at the moment is opium. So, taking that out of context, like, it's like really badly. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. um, Encarts, Story Lonely. Yeah, That's yeah, a yeah. really, like, stupid example of it. But that kind of dress sense, I'm re I really yeah. enjoy. So, Rick Owens, Aleeks, Years of Tears, to name a few. Um, so, I'm kind of yeah. dressing like that. So, the way the brand goes will kind of be inspired by that but also our photography's always kind of been like that like a dark dark aesthetic yeah, low exposure like yeah yeah film yeah, yeah. vhs that kind of thing so i think it'll fit in great 
and it'll just be a path in the way the brand goes. And I, I quite like it going with my personal style. So how long were you doing it before it all blew up? So I created the brand or had the idea September 2021. Um, and it was just- I launched. Really? Yeah. yeah was September 2021. So I, th I think it was maybe a couple of days before that, but September 2021, we'll call it. And it was like one night in my room, I was like, you know, because I was really getting into like, what I think is a bit rents now, this type of fashion, but it's like the Y2K type of thing, like Ibisu's, Maharishi, um, CP Company, Snowline, all of that. I don't really wear that as much anymore, but that's what I really liked at the time. And I wanted something with obviously inspiration from Hardy Blackman, but different. And with like a Japanese denim type twist. So I was designing like pretty crap t-shirts then it moved on to some denim. I went to some crap Pakistani manufacturer. It was like, I, mean, I had no idea what I was doing. But then it was like January uh, 2022, oh, 2022. Yeah, 2022. And uh, I was on like a Discord. Some guy messaged me and I managed to get Cortez's manufacturer for t-shirts. What? Yeah, I know, it's mad. <laughs> I know, I know, it's Fair mad. Fair enough, man. I mean, I, I've, I'm gonna be completely honest. You I've had like a few the of their t-shirts before, and by the time I've got them, like, on, on resale, I'm not... Yeah. Quality's a bit off. I know. But I'm still mad that you got them. But, um, I knew you were going to say that, because I've heard you talk about that before. But this was actually <laughs> the manufacturer before they went big, as in before they scaled up, like, massively. So this oh, was, like, okay, okay. in-house manufacturer, so li much lesser quantities and higher quality. So I was really, really impressed with the quality. So... Came in, I was really happy with it, dropped it, and yeah, I was really happy with it. So that was around, I think I did my first drop, I wanna say March, March or April, um, and it went really, really well. Well, how did you prepare for that first drop? Yeah, so sept from September 2021, I sampled loads of stuff, it all looked crap. And then I kind of nailed it on the t-shirts and stuff. I had a proper graphic designer design it. Um, so from September, and then hitting March. March is when I like publicly released it. Been in the works for a couple months, it was crap. And then I finally hit it, you know. Had five or six really good designs that I'm still using. I was building up the Instagram. I finally publicly released it, released it, sorry. And it got like 300 followers in the first day. And that was mad. Nice. It was like two, two 300 followers in the first day. And that was mental. Um, so I kept on building on it. I did my first drop. I sold like three t-shirts, but then I like locked the site like two hours later. Like it, I've always kept this like consistent exclusive exclusivity to the brand. Mm -hmm. um, so then I had them all made. It was a little pre-order, but because the manufacturer is really quick at making them, took like two or three weeks, had them out. And then I did nice. another drop. And then by then the brand had grown a lot. So I dropped them sold out in four minutes. Um, and it was like a significant amount of t-shirts. Like I was really happy with what I was turning over. Like it wasn't like a tiny, tiny amount. Well, fair play, man. That's, that's very impressive. Um, as I said, I've worked with a lot of people and, you know, not many of them can say they've, they've hit it that quickly. Right. What do you think it is about what you're doing? Do you think it's the pricing, the quality, the photography, the designs itself? If like you could attribute the sort of very quick success and trajectory, what would it, what would you say it boils down to? 
marketing. And okay. because quality is kind of the last... On the majority of people, I feel, if I say 400 GSM cotton, obviously a t-shirt's not 400 GSM, but let's just say 400 GSM. The majority of people who aren't into like the real in-depth amounts of fashion aren't really going to understand the significance of that. So if I say that in a video, but then someone sees the design, the fit of the t-shirt, they're going to like elaborate and build on that a lot more. So I think it was a mix of unique designing, you know, it wasn't just a classic like text on a t-shirt, um, unique designing, cognitive marketing that is going with the trends, you know, not the actual video, but like sounds, hashtags, all that kind of stuff. I worked on it like every day, six o'clock, I'd upload, 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 upload for like three months straight. Um, and it took a while to blow up, but I think what attributed to it the most was designs and marketing. Have you ever thought about doing any pop-up stores or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, well, I was thinking of doing, this kind of comes into it, but I'd just like to touch on this. Guerrilla marketing, I had a really, really good idea, or at least I think. Um, and it involves stickers and getting thousands and thousands of stickers because I found a really good supplier. I can get 10,000 stickers for extremely cheap and even 100,000. I'm putting them into slips of 10 stickers in a packet, pre-packaging them into notes and selling it for free but you just pay for postage. And because the stickers are a really cheap price and postage only costs people two pounds, two pound 50, and I get a thousand orders and a thousand people have 10 stickers and I tell them stick it everywhere. The amount of publicity that that could gain would be like incredible. Postage would be cheaper. For stickers, it'd be about 50p, mate. Yeah. Like it'd be really cheap to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've had quite a few, uh, Guerrilla marketing ideas might well. I've had so many, right? Um, I did one before. It didn't really take off because I didn't really do it very well. But when I did my first pop-up in Shoreditch in Box Park, I did this thing where I gave out QR code stickers. Uh, just River Gods, Wear the Future, because that was my strap plan at the time with the QR code. And I basically said to anyone in the shop, anyone that came in, I said, look, take one of these stickers. This week, whoever puts it in the best place around London takes a picture of it puts on their Instagram story and tags it, um, we'll get like a free hoodie or something. Yeah. yeah. Some guys did some really cool ones. There wasn't like a huge variety, but I, I, one was really cool. I chose him as a winner. But what I found out is that it, loads of King's College students, like the London University, loads of them put them around the uni there. And like, I, I nearly got into loads of shit for like graffitiing because oh. of how many yeah, people yeah. were putting them in one place. Um, it was fine in the end, but like my friend that goes there still says like when he walks past, you can see like the marks of where the glue's been on the, uh, <laughs> on the stickers. So, so I'm actually doing law right now as part of my degree law for entrepreneurs. And it covers this sort of thing, like promotional things you need to be aware of. Um, and some of my ideas I've had are just blatantly illegal, but the, the ones I've had, that I've had some that are like borderline that I think like a borderline yeah, illegal stunt can get, yeah, well, at this stage when you're still like a technically a startup yes because you're not as much of a threat but like my first ever idea and this is before i knew what guerrilla marketing was this is when i first started like designing i was going to shoot a lookbook right this is this is such a dumb idea i was going to bootleg brands like supreme calvin klein 
uh, I don't know why I think Calvin Klein was just popular at the time. Like Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, this was like this was like what was big right before the whole Y two K thing. Like it was yeah. these guys, and then now it's just the Y two K. It's like twenty seventeen, twenty sixteen. Off white supreme, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna do um, bootlegs of those brands, um, like with my branding at the time. And I was going to do the lookbook, like, outside of each shop. Like, I'd wear a fake Calvin Klein t-shirt outside the Calvin Klein shop mm. and try and get a cease and desist, try and get them to take legal action, and then use that cease and desist letter as promotion. Because yeah, I'd only, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be making enough t-shirts to lose much money. And if just one brand did it, it would promote all the other bootlegs. Yeah. Um, and then the whole bootleg thing got, like, really big, and loads of other people started doing it. And I was like, you know what? As like a fifteen-year-old kid at the time, I couldn't I couldn't justify doing that, right? So I didn't do it. But that was like my first ever. That's a really good idea. Though. Well, I had another idea that I was going to do for my for my next collection disruption. Like each piece is going to have its own guerrilla campaign behind it. And you know, I've been designing this collection now for about seven months. Uh, I've been spending again seven months has been spent mainly on the marketing. Uh, because it's going to, like, disruption, the idea is that it's going to disrupt the industry. It's going to make yeah. a lot of noise. And then if it doesn't have a significant am- impact, it doesn't look as good. So you've got to really focus on the marketing. Exactly, man. Like, but one of my ideas, it was based on the idea I had when I was 15. I was going to make a bootleg Apple t-shirt, like a vintage Apple t-shirt with a rainbow logo. That looks strap line, think different, but but think disruptive. And I had this all designed out. And what I was going to do, like those kind of vintage bootlegs get loads of traction on TikTok. Mm. So I was going to make one, post it on my TikTok, and get loads of pictures of people wearing it so it looked like there was loads of them. Wait for that TikTok to go viral. And then contact Apple's legal team myself and say to them, look, this brand are trying to copy you. I get the cease and desist. Make a TikTok saying Apple are trying to shut down my streetwear brand. That's Easy so, viral video, right? That is so clever. The length you go. Yeah. That's what I, mean. no, I, I was very, very tempted to do this. I think in reality, though, Apple aren't going to do shit. This is actually, I had a lecture about this yesterday. Weird coincidentally that we're talking about this today. But about how trademark infringement and how like brands like McDonald's, like anywhere there's a fake McDonald's logo in the world, they will pay thousands to make sure it gets removed. Really? Massive corporations really do take this seriously. Who cares about McDonald's? <laughs> like, bro, it, it's weird. It, 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 it's it, it's a, intellectual property is a weird world. Mm. But that's why, like, I wouldn't rip off like a brand like I don't know, like Cortez, where like they're big, but it's not like like a, a an international corporation. Yeah. Like, it would have to be like a company that cares enough to like sue me. Well, that's kind of what Clint did. That's what Clint did, though. He ripped off his own brand for guerrilla marketing. Was, was that was that Lazar thing him? Yeah, obviously. What even happened with that? Because I saw that so many times and just thought, like, what the fuck is going on? I'll pull up. I'll have a look on Instagram. I mean, it had to be Clint because of the detail it went into, like, same, like, place that the models were and so Yeah, yeah they Lip- had the same shoot locations, didn't they? Yeah, no, it's Clint. It's got Clint ri- written all over it. So you reckon Clint has basically completely ripped off his ripped off Cortez? Yeah, because it went viral on TikTok. You know, it had a massive impact on Cortez because it was like Cortez has become so popular that now there's a completely ripped off brand and it's gone to these lengths. And those minor details, those like razz people up even more to like 
see that, oh my god, someone went to the extent to copy them that much. They must be so good that someone's going to those lengths. And like, I, I never saw it on TikTok. I used to just get Instagram adverts of it all the time. Like, always sponsored posts was always by them. And I thought, why are they spending so much money advertising this? Um, yeah, going on to your opinion of reps, like, what's your opinion on people, like, making fakes of your brand? If someone was to make a fake of my brand, I would absolutely love it, right? Like, when I first started designing, like, I had two goals, like, major goals that I said to myself, if these happen, I've made it. The first one being just walking around the street and just seeing someone that I don't know wearing River God. Now, loads of other people have had that. They've told me when they've seen it in public. I've still never seen it, so I haven't got there yet. But the other one was always to have fakes of my own brand. I think it's fucking quality, like so funny. Um, I would buy it all as well. I would, I would buy and wear fake River God if it, if it existed. Like, I just think it's hilarious. Um, what about you, if people were to rep your stuff? Um, I hate reps in general. And... Up until like recently, I was so against it. Like any fakes of it, I'd just be like, I'd slander it so much. But then I saw this comment and it was, well, they're still publicizing your brand. Like there's, it's still walking publicity. Exactly. Like there is still your name on that product. And that really made me rethink about it. And um, actually I saw someone wearing Coach a couple months ago, which was the maddest feeling in the world. Like nice. I was walking in London on the street and I'm like wearing like unreleased Viracocha and shit like that with my mates. And then I'm like, wait, what the fuck? There's some guy walking there with Viracocha t-shirt. But um, what else? I'm like, yo, we're on the owner of the brand. Like, that's incredible. Like, where'd you get from? I'm just like, blah, blah. And I got a picture of it. I was like, that's mad. Um, well, that's like, really cool. Yeah, prior to that. And considering the amount I have sold and the amount of people who have seen my brand is ridiculous. Like... I have like I've sold a decent amount, but especially like T-shirts, I haven't sold that many. Like it's under two hundred or I, I can't remember like exactly, but it's not like a stupidly high number. But my mate, she went to her sister went to a uni and saw someone wearing it there. One of my mates saw it in Oxford like four or five times. Like someone's like, oh yeah, my mate's got a T-shirt. Oh yeah, somebody at my school like a younger's got a T-shirt. Like it's mad. No, that's really cool. I had um, one of my friends from, from home. I hadn't spoken to him for years and he sent me a Snapchat and I was like, what the fuck is this? Opened it and he was he was in Greece in an airport and some guy was wearing the beige hoodie that I do with these patches. Um, but the maddest story, my cousin was in Ibiza wearing a t-shirt that I gave him for his birthday mm. uh, in a random club there. And he told me some random guy came up to him and was like, oh my God, is that a River God t-shirt? And he was like, yeah, and he was like, how did you get it? Like, do you, like, do you know much about the brand? And it's like, whoa, like, even random, like, people in Ibiza, like, are recognising it. And yeah. saying, like, like, that's the thing about the, the whole personal branding thing. It means that I get recognised. Yeah. Probably more than the clothes do. The patches are very recognisable. Like, I, you know, they're very simple, but because they were designed in a way that's quite bulky and quite bold, that was the idea, is that if you see, like, a hoodie with those kinds of shapes on it, you recognise it. No one else has done anything near that. All right, so you said that, like, you know, you've got a lot of your mates resharing your posts and everything. Like, what when you first started designing, what was the, like, initial reaction of your mates and stuff? Really supportive of it, you know. All of my close mates followed through with it, you know. Always, like, having genuine interest, asking me about it, how's it going. And obviously, they still do to this day. But um, when it really started getting traction, you know, people were noticing it, like, around 
like a lot of my friend groups, they'd be like, yeah, swear you're the owner of that brand. And it like really getting around. Then like other schools and like random people, like they start getting like so much traction. Like people ask me all the time, like, yeah, swear you own that brand and shit like that, which is mad. But yeah, no, my friends have been amazing about it. They, are, they, they, are they all into fashion as well or did they sort of get into fashion since you started? Yeah, so um, a couple of my friends were like dressing like Y2K because that was kind of what was relevant in London, like Palace of Isu, mm-hmm. uh, CP Company, Maharishi, etc. So I dressed like that and I had a couple of other mates like that. But all my mates always borrow my clothes and shit. So all my mates, like they like fashion. But one of my one of my friends like has a rule like he won't spend more than a hundred pounds on a piece of clothing. So like a lot of them like they love the clothes, they love wearing my clothes, but they can't be asked to shell it out. And like it's not like an active interest; it's something that they enjoy. But yeah, I I think a lot I I have influenced a lot of people to think about it more. Like having an active interest is very different to just liking certain brands. Like because you can there are some proper nerds in the fashion space <laughs> like. And I, I'm one of them. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I, again, I have friends that like brands that like, I would, you know, I'd occasionally send like a, like a Supreme drop to, or when I first got into designing, it was all back when Supreme drops were the big thing, you know, like everyone was trying to get whatever they could from whatever drop. So like, that was what got me into designing mainly. Um, and that was the culture at the time. But like at my school, it was just me and one mate that were interested in that. Like, yeah. like a good outfit was like a Sports Direct Nike tracksuit where I'm from. <laughs> Like people mm. just did not care, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's really good to hear that you had that good like initial reception. So, do your friends like? Do they help out much with the brand? Um, I don't like working. With people. I I don't like working with people in general. Um, mm-hmm. in like big ownerships, like splitting like money, thing, aspects like that. It's either I do everything or I do nothing. Um, but I've taken a couple of my mates to shoots. Um. And they're always like giving me ideas, like, why don't you make this? Why don't you make that? And like, I'll be dead honest. I'll be like, yeah, well, I think that's shit because everyone's done a full zip up. Or I think that's a really good idea. And I'm genuinely going to take that to heart and maybe design something like that. Um, but yeah, always giving me ideas. You know, a lot of my mates just like through Snapchat and shit, you know, they get added and they're like texting them and they're like, yeah, you know what? Follow this guy's brand, like stuff like that. And it, it word of mouth is so effective. Um, but yeah, my mate, I could not ask for better mates and I could not ask for like a better like circle around me who have supported it. They're going to love listening to this podcast then. <laughs> no, I think that's what you're very right. And word of mouth, especially in today's world where, you know, everyone's being fed so many adverts, so many influences and stuff, real word of mouth and like like actual proper endorsements from real people that aren't being paid to endorse it because exactly. the way to go i mean you've proven that already it's already working for you and it's only going to get bigger yeah so is your is your fan base like localized would you say or has it sort of spread around the country now it's out like i didn't realize it but one of one one of my tiktoks when it blew up so it i think it has now like 750k so it's at 300k and i was going to america so on the flight to America, it was at like 200k. And I land in America, it's got like another 100k. And as I'm in America, it's getting hundreds of thousands of views. And I think TikTok tracked my location. So now I have so many American customers, like so many American customers. It's kind of annoying because I love yeah. America. I love everything about it. But, you know, 
shipping those orders out is so expensive and i like to have it like contained in the uk like having a big big fan base in the uk um but you know with one of my recent drops i made it only to the uk because i only wanted people in the uk rocking it because I'd, I'd rather have so many people in the uk than rather scattered around the world which is kind of how it is at the moment that's a very good point i'm, I'm gonna i might consider that a nab idea myself actually um because i i sell a lot internationally and TikTok is very weird. It's not just about where you're posting from. So I went to Spain a couple of times over summer. And every time I went, I'd have videos that would get hundreds of thousands of Spanish views. And people would be commenting shit in Spanish and I'd have to go and translate it. And we would translate, having no idea what they were trying to say. Yeah. Someone commented saying, this feels like I'm in an English lesson. Bro, that's not the people I'm trying to target with my videos. We're yeah. trying to target customers, not people that, are, you know. Yeah, go um, on. So on Black Friday, uh, as part of my promotion, I made a TikTok video that was designed to go viral. And it, and it did pretty much of the hoodies. Um, the annoying thing was, is that I posted it at 10 PM on the Saturday of the weekend, right? I went to sleep, woke up to like maybe 30, 40 orders of hoodies, but they were all from Australia, but because the video had blown up in Australia because of the, the time difference and oh my God, there's people that still haven't got the orders now. It's been a nightmare trying to ship mm. everything to Australia, expensive, difficult. Um, and the annoying thing was as well. So this is the point that I wanted to speak to you about. We kind of already covered. They may have listened to it already. It depends where I've edited this, right? But a big thing with me with River God right now is that my sales are very algorithm dependent. So this video was blowing up. It was getting so many interactions, so many sales. Then it just stopped at 125k views. And it just it was going so fast and just stopped. No idea why the engagement was super good. The click throughs, the follows were all really, really yeah, good. Yeah, it had that, it it had that stopped. Kind of momentum to just keep on going. Like, why would it stop? Yeah, and then I, I was sort of sat there and realized this, this algorithm, I, like, it can do whatever the hell it wants. And it can be the difference between me making thousands and thousands or me making absolutely nothing. So I've been, this is partly one of the reasons why I'm starting the podcast is I wanted to make the brand algorithm proof. I wanted to give it so much value and reason for people to just come back themselves that it didn't matter whether an algorithm pushed it to them. They just wanted to come back anyway. Uh, and as you've said, like you're doing that very, very well. You're creating that sort of scarcity. You're providing very high quality content. You know, my content, I provide high quality information and editing. Yours is much more about high quality styling, high quality photography, which, you know, is a better converter for your products. So the, the denim, mm. in terms of pricing, like what goes into your pricing decision and how much have you charged for them before? Charged uh, for the black and white jeans was 120 pounds. I was gonna do 150 for the colored ones, but I think we might have to go higher. I think it's probably gonna hit the 200 range um, mm. due to shipping, manufacturing, a lot of factors, but pricing, the main reason for it is what it cost me to produce and the amount of time that goes into it as well. You know, if I've spent eight, 10 months designing and building up a piece, I want to be able to like have that back, like not profit. I don't do any of this for profit unless I want to reinvest it. I do it for that. People know that value of that item. Like if someone buys, something for a hundred pounds or and 10 pounds they're going to naturally value the thing that costs them more because the hours they put in to get that money and to they've chosen to buy that item they're going to value it more 
And I'm not saying that to like have an excuse to price my items highly because they're worth it. The quality and effort and meaning. My brand has meaning. Everything happens for a reason. And there's so much that goes into it. And I try to do it as cheap as I can with keeping the brand alive. But No, no, I completely get that. And you shouldn't charge too little anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's there's a very interesting psychological theory um, that you'll probably come across at some point. It's called the price snobbery effect. Uh, I think that's the official name. There's loads of different names for it. It's basically the concept that, and it's very, I'm sure you experience this day to day as well. If you see something that's cheap, you automatically assume it can't be good quality. Exactly. Yeah. And with a product like yours, where there's so much detail to it, you can't, you could make your product bad quality. Like you could make it with really crap stitching, crap quality denim. So, you know, you don't i'm not saying that you do i'm just saying like physically possibly you could uh so having that higher price point reaffirms that not only is the detail there it's it's constructed properly so i i think i think if anything your pricing is cheap for 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 what you do like i think i agree um and i have people complaining about the price when the video blew up people like 150 quid like you should be charging 40 like people were moaning about the price on those I know, bro. I, like, if if that had a Maharishi logo on it, that'd be four hundred and fifty, like, like, yeah, four fifty, yeah. five hundred quid. But that I don't want to get compared to Maharishi because I don't feel as if I'm anything like Maharishi anymore. I used to dress with Maharishi, but I would not really wear Maharishi nowadays. And I know some people may seem that like think that seems hypocritical because my, like, I use dragons and tigers in a similar way. But the way the brand is going, you wouldn't even recognize it com- in comparison to Maharishi. Like, I want to have unique garments that follow like an opium styled effect and gothic imagery, but mm-hmm. with the smaller tiger implements and the smaller dragon implements. Obviously, I want to have some of the bigger logo stuff because I enjoy that. But I also, as I said earlier, I want my clothing to be a piece of art, not a piece of clothing with art on it. Well, here's a piece of advice based on that. You should always have the logo pieces. Yeah. But the way that the fashion works and the way, you know, so Gucci, you know, Burberry, they, they, you know, they have like, they spend millions and millions and millions on runways and have, you know, stupidly expensive, like well-designed jackets and stuff on their site. But they're, the reason they're still in business is because people buy a t-shirt just with the Gucci logo, yeah, right? exactly. just, just a white t-shirt with the Gucci logo. People only buy that because of the atmosphere that's created through all the really exciting high-end products. Because people will see they're buying like, really like, like, yeah, like the leather jacket that you're talking about. They'll see that and think, God, that's so cool. I love this brand. I can't afford that, but I'll get the t-shirt because I can afford that. So always keep the logos in because that's the core of your brand, right? That's That's how you're visually recognized is, is the logo. Like as long as the logo instant, obviously you want to build that through silhouette too. And I'm sure, you know, within a couple of years you will have like silhouettes that are very recognizable, uh, as yours, but the logo, yeah, it, it's something that like a lot of brand, like, unless you're Rick Owens, like, you know, Rick Owens is one of and the that takes that makes decades. Out. Yeah. Yeah. What it's I think really embodies that is Givenchy. I think that's a brand I take a lot of inspiration from, especially since, mm-hmm. you know, who Matthew Williams is. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Um, 
him taking over, I think, I, I can't remember the role of it, creative director or something, um, a lot of, you know, I went into the Givenchy store the other week and I saw the most amazing pieces, like the denim, like Cheeto, if you've heard of that artist, doing like spray painted designs and things like that. Really incredible stuff, amazing silhouettes, using like spikes on the side of denim. I loved it. The leather was incredible quality. And then you see some guy walk in. I saw this guy walk in. How much, he goes, how much for the t-shirt? And the woman goes, 400 pounds. And then he goes over to the till and buys it. And it literally is just a plain white t-shirt that says Givenchy on it. Whereas he's surrounded with incredible art. Well, that's how those brands work. And because those margins are so high on those pieces, it's what keeps those brands in business. It keeps them making profits each year. Yeah, no, Rick does some incredible pieces and, and no logos. He's a very, very good designer. And people think that Rick has kind of been a massive thing that's been influenced recently. He's been around forever and the people who know about him know about him. You know, everyone's yeah, no, the big Ramones thing. But if you really dive into it, he's an incredible designer, really incredible designer. And no one else is like him. No, I, I definitely, I haven't done enough of my own research. I know a lot about him, but like, it's one of those ones where like, I always hear something new. I'm like, holy shit, I just know nothing about this guy. Like, it's yeah. quite, I think that's what part of his success is actually attribute, I, I'd attribute to, is while he's a great designer, it's the whole kind of enigma around him. Like, he's he's an odd looking guy. Yeah, he's an alien. Very, very striking looking yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, like his personality is very mysterious. Like mm. the whole vibe of the brand is mysterious and, it's and interesting. weird. Now, have you seen the tour of his house? He's got the most incredible yeah. architecture and stuff. And like only wears shorts. Very interesting. Yeah. So that. So so. Do you want to? And in terms of, do you want to compete with those those brands that you mentioned, or do you want to be like, do you want to be in the same conversation, or do you want to be like a more affordable alternative, or? like a British take on it or I don't, I don't want to be in a full, I don't want to be something or something. I want to be Veracocha. I want to be okay. It, not something or something. Um, can't believe I haven't asked this yet, by the way, but why Veracocha? Yeah. Where, where, where was the name? The name. So on the night that I was researching and wanting to make a brand, I was researching gods that were associated with certain animals. I was looking up like my spirit animal and shit. And, um, <laughs> came across like cougars and I know it's really bad but like tigers and cougars and kind of animals like that and I found this god called Viracocha which the Incas used to like um pray to and there's a whole massive thing about it and like the sun gods and there was like some stuff about it being associated with like tigers cougars so I just stuck with that name and then it went from there fair play man it's definitely it's a very fitting name I feel yeah like. I'm really I'm really happy with the name I'm really happy but then that was the first name you went with. Oh yeah, I've never had another name. Wow. Okay, impressive. Yeah. I, I went through quite a few myself before I landed yeah. with God. When you event, because eventually you're going to have to hire someone. The way the brand is growing, it's going to happen at some point. It's it's a rarity of life. There's no way you can manage a company bigger as one person. It's just fact. What's the first sort of person you think you'd try and hire, or that you want in your brand? My package. <laughs> oh my God, that like a hundred plus packages on your own yeah like but that's not the bad part for me it's doing the labels because up until about a month ago i didn't realize that i went onto royal mail website and i type in every single person's name and address and in individually found out there's a website that you can link it up to on shopify and it just does it automatically for yeah. you i only found that out hundreds and hundreds of orders later 
<laughs> so, so many hours and then getting it wrong and paying for the wrong one it was the biggest pain ever so i yeah, find bro, I, I hate shipping too so what's the future then like what, where do you see the brands like going towards next are you going for more cut and sew more denim or leather different i've done a lot of leather pieces um leather baggy flares leather yeah so i made a cowhide yeah so i made a cowhide leather jacket I haven't shown anyone. After after this, I can show you it. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so a lot of leather pieces, a lot of flares, baggy flares, um, and logoless pieces. Completely logoless. Nice. Working on silhouettes, the way the material and fabrics work together, um, the way in which the garment sits. So many. There is so many other aspects other than shoving a logo on, and I feel that. My brand shouldn't be a piece of clothing with art on it. I feel like my clothing should be a piece of art. It's a good quote. <laughs> no, I like that, man. Yeah. I think that's that's a very good direction. Like, and that's what I'm doing now personally as well. Like, I'm doing a lot of cut and sew sampling at the moment. And, I mean, it, it, it's such a... I, I feel like it's a lot more rewarding as well. Like, when you get a sample in hand... It makes it truly unique because there's not another person with the same like format of hoodie um, or format of whatever. Everything about that garment is made by you. Everything about it to the last millimeter of it. And I think that gives a lot more meaning to it as well. No, I completely agree. And, you know, for me, it works well because I'm tying a lot. Well, actually, so the cargoes that I've been sampling recently, mm. that I can't wait to release their banging pair of trousers, right? Yeah. What are they made out of, by the way? Um, it's like a sanded cotton twill. It's not oh. like a particularly unique. Yeah, it's made all in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, that's mad. God, it was that's mad. Nightmare, man. I need to do like, that though. I have to do that. I, I, it's a must. UK manufacturing. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you can, I mean, I back it so hard, man. I'd be happy to help out any way that I can. Yeah, but it is such a like difficult process. Like I've I've now have, you know, I've built quite a network now. I've got like people that do zips, people that do drawstrings, people that do like the end of drawstrings, people that do fabric, people like it's just every aspect of it, really. Yeah, but and like it's great because I get like complete control, but there's less option to choose yeah. from, if you get what I mean. Well, so, it's just like Chinese and Pakistani manufacturers, as in, I'm assuming that's what you may have used in the past, because that's what, you know, 80 to 90% of people use. No, um, I, I've never, I never have, personally. What, Chinese or Pakistani? No, nah, man, like, so I've, I've done half of my, all the heritage stuff that I've released so far, the stuff with the thistle on, that's all UK. And this stuff, the foot and the patches UK, this stuff is done uh, in Turkey. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is, is good. It's a lot, it's a lot better than China and stuff, but it's like, I, I want a factory that I can literally go and visit yeah. and go and see how it's working. Cause for me, you know, there's so many brands out there these days, like there needs to be some that are actually really focused on responsible manufacturing and yeah in our country really? and i'm not and that's not me like talking down on what you're doing at no, all no, no. like um but just personally like like as, there's enough other brands you can buy from if you don't value responsibility of manufacturing that's fine don't don't yeah. shop from me but 
with my money and my my mission i i don't want to i want to set an example basically yeah right? you want you want to prove people that it can be done yeah yeah but what i meant by chinese and pakistani manufacturers yeah sorry um would be that they do most of it in-house you know they'll be you'll tell them what to do and they'll do it all under one roof whereas with you you're having to sample it from many different places yeah no 100 percent. the majority of people doing that because it's just a lot more difficult well what i've been doing recently actually so these cargo samples they cost maybe they've cost me about 350 quid overall for the first sample mm. and they took about eight weeks to come and it's just not, it's too slow, right, for sampling. So what I do now, I go to Alibaba, I find these Pakistani or Chinese manufacturers, I get them to make me a free sample to my exact cut and sew requirements, bring them back to the UK and just say to manufacturers, look, make this exactly how it is, here's all the files, but, you know, skip the sample, just go straight for full production. And that's my new model now because the sampling teams are different in China and Pakistan to their mass manufacturing teams. So I don't feel like there's much issue there, like sustainability wise. Mm. And it means that I can bring out pieces a lot quicker and a lot cheaper in the that's UK. really clever. Um, uh, I think that's you. a really good model. I hadn't actually thought of that at all. But yeah, it's really expensive shipping it over and it's not really that environmentally friendly. You know, you're shipping hundreds of well depending on the volume hundreds of kilograms of product yeah. from one end of the world to the other and again the amount of water used in the cotton and you just want to reduce it as much as possible and that's why i'm going to try and use organic cotton i'm i'm moving a lot of my manufacturing to turkey because it's a lot closer a lot better quality and sustainability you know i was looking at manufacture uh, uh sorry a factory and you know it looked incredible Looking inside it, you know, the like it looked professional and amazing, guaranteed every kind of aspect of environmental friendliness. No, that's what um, everyone is, all, like all the big players in the industry right now are hitting Portugal and Turkey. Mm. They're the two sort of capitals in the world right now. China will always prevail. There will always be Chinese manufacturers. But a lot of people do use Turkey and Portugal now for those reasons. Mm. But you need to look out for the certifications. You need Ecotex is a good one for sustainability and GOTS, mm. two very important uh, certifications to look for. The only issue is, right, this is why I don't really trust when Chinese manufacturers say that they use organic cotton or they abide by certain safety laws because I've seen loads of reports, right, where, uh, you know, a factory will claim to have certain, what they'll do, they'll have an inspector come in and, you know, spend like a week with them and look at what they're doing then give them the safety ranking or give them the uh, sustainability certification. Then as soon as they leave, they just go back to the old practices mm. of, you know, abusing the labor, like crap quality materials. So that's pretty much why I'm doing UK because I, I just, I just can't trust these big companies. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it, you know, like the majority of them probably don't do that, but. But it's just know. the fact that on your conscious that there's like a slight chance that it could. And I really respect that yeah. because it takes a lot more effort to do that. Um, I've personally built up a really good relationship with my manufacturers. And even if they are, you know, a Chinese manufacturer or whatever, um, the quality is really good. And I've had, you know, videos of them in the factory and it all seems really good, to be honest. Um, but I'm still going to move over to Turkey, 
you know, I just think it's a lot better. No, I think that's a very good point. And I think what a point that you said there is that the quality is very good, right? Now, here's, here's a very off topic. Well, not really off topic, but like a random analogy, right? So the most sustainable car in the world right now, I believe, is a type of Land Rover, not mm. a Tesla. And it, the Land Rover uses petrol. But because the Land Rover lasts so much longer than the Tesla does in terms of the quality of the materials and how well the, the car lasts for, it's actually more sustainable because it doesn't, you know, like in the lifespan of that Land Rover, like three or four Teslas need to be fully manufactured. Yeah. So if it's talking in terms of clothing, I think sustainable clothing, as long as it's really good quality and will last a long time, that's sustainable, right? That is by definition sustainable. Yeah. So I think quality in sustainable manufacturing, if you're talking about specifically the product, I think quality is more important than whether it's yeah. organic or not. Like obviously organic cotton is a lot better when you look at the figures of, you know, electricity uh, used, water used, but uh, so what if it's, if it just is, it falls apart in a yeah, year, right? Yeah, there's no point. I think we should chat about jaded London. So basically gentrified fast fashion then, that's kind of what we're seeing now, right? Uh, yeah, no, I think a really good example of that is Jade London. Um, but the, the way they're marketing their clothing all over TikTok, you see on advertisements, paid, like, I mean, even if you look up jeans on whatever web browser, if you look up jeans, the first thing that will come up is a pair of Jade London. It will be right there, £75 for a pair of whatever. And it goes with every single micro trend. They do it every time. Baggy jeans, they've got it. Um, sweaters with, like, holes in it and stuff. They've got it. Everything. And the way they market it, they do videos that purposely... Parachute pants. Mm, exactly. They do videos that try and hide themselves within almost... Like, that. They, they could never be fast fashion. The way they market it, the way they use models, the, everything about the way they have themselves on social media makes you think the last thing they'll be is something like Zara or Boohoo Man or something like that. It's because they follow the trend so quickly and so fastly. They're using the most unsustainable fashion. People, I know people who have bought the jeans and they've just started ripping apart so quickly because you're paying for something that's just gentrified. It isn't that value. Bro, you think it's that value. Do you, want to hear, do you want to hear something? This is a confession. Someone that owns a sustainable clothing brand, I have bought from Jaded a couple of times before I knew mm. about, really understood yeah. what was going on. You know, I've, I was a sucker to the marketing. I bought a varsity jacket from them. It was like 140 quid. It arrived. One of the buttons was missing on the thing, right? The quality was so shit. I just sold it. I couldn't even be asked to send it back. I just forgot to because I was so pissed off. Brought some jeans before that. They were just shit. They just, the quality was awful. I think they were like 90 quid. I thought for 90 quid, surely it's not fast fashion. But bro, it is. It's again, it's gentrified fast fashion. They're trying to make you feel like it's, it's good quality and it's legit because it's expensive. Mm. But bro, it's... It's like that. It's like that marketing we've talked about before. You know, making the consumer feel as if, well, they should do this. It should feel as if you're paying a higher price, you're going to receive better quality. But that's the entire thing about this gentrified fast fashion is they go directly against that, and they just have a a, a very cheap product and they mark it up, use clever marketing, and then that whole persona of that being fast fashion or a cheap item is thrown away until you get it in hand. Yeah, completely agree, man. It's, it's fucked. But I think that probably does it for the first episode. Uh, I was really interested in hearing your perspective of things. Like, I always find it interesting speaking to people that have built, like, hype around a product that's, you know, only just started. I think that's a really interesting thing, a really interesting concept. 
Um, so I just want to say congrats on what you're doing, man. It's not like the direction is, is really clear. Like, you're really so going to take it some decent places. And, you know, I'm sure we'll, you know, I think we said this off camera, but in the future, we'll definitely have you like on this again and we'll review like what's happened since. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah. So either way, man, I mean, yeah. Um, do you want to plug your socials? Um, at veracoach.uk on Instagram and TikTok. Cool. And veracoach.xyz on, um, on Google or whatever. Even though you Sign can't up. buy anything on the site. <laughs> yeah. Sign up your email. Sign up your email. Sign up to the mailing list.